Uh, I'd like to begin our sermon by just spending a, a few moments in reflection and in remembrance the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're remembering Easter Sunday. Let's take some time to complete the second half of that question. Is he Christ? And if he is Christ, if he is the anointed one, then what? And so let's look a moment at what the book of Luke, the 23rd chapter, the 35th verse, reminds us of. It says these very words, And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them snared, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The background of this passage of scripture is a very dramatic scene that's occurring. The rulers have achieved what they desired. These Pharisees, these chief priests, desired to set upon Jesus for the crucifixion on the cross at a place outside of the city of Jerusalem called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Christ was dying by a slow and painful death of affixation, of suffering. After being beaten with fists, with clubs, after being whipped 39 times with lashes of a whip that was made with bones within the leather, and being stabbed with a spear in his side. So much to the point that he is unrecognizable. And now he's hung on this cross. And many are standing by and watching, including the rulers, not just one. It's a plural, more than one, more than one Pharisee, more than one chief priest that addresses him with snares and the statement, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God. See, this statement should just cause such grief to come into our hearts. That they're standing before Jesus, sneering at him. But I'd like to share with you three things about Christ. I think that would speak to our heart of the great sacrifice on the cross for each and every one of us. See, Christ is at the heart of all Scripture. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelations, he is patterned, he is promised, and he is present in Scripture from the very beginning to the very end, from Genesis onward to Revelations, and even today. Christ 
is present. And so I'd like to just take a moment and to talk about those three aspects. Christ being patterned, Christ being promised, and Christ being present. The first one, Christ was patterned in Scripture. It really means that he is a repeated design, that we see Christ through the Old Testament over and over and over again. There are symbols and signs that point to Christ. That as we read through the scriptures of the Old Testament, we can see his design, who he is, his character, his conduct. That is after God's love for the whole world. One commentary said it this way, the flood and the ark, the Passover and the Red Sea, the wilderness and the promised land, the exile and return, the war and peace, kingdom and kings, prophets and priests, temples, its sacrifice and its riches, wisdom in death and life, songs of lament and rejoicing the lives of faithful survivors, and the blood of righteous mortars, the entirety of the Old Testament and its extraordinary views point to Jesus Christ and his shape. He is the Passover lamb. He is the one that was in the wilderness and that sacrificed for all of our sins. He is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. He is above every prophet and every priest. He is the great high king. He is the temple. He is the sacrifice. Christ is patterned in all of scripture. Paul said it best about the pattern of Christ in 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 1 through 4, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. See, it's obvious the Old Testament believers looked forward to the fulfillment of these patterns, these patterns of Christ. He is Alpha and He is Omega. But how would you say? See, they looked through the promises, the promise of Christ coming, the promise of Christ being king of kings and lord of lords, the promise of Christ dying for all of mankind. See, Christ was not only patterned in Scripture, but Christ was promised in Scripture to you and I. He was promised to be the savior of the world. He was promised that we would not die in our trespasses and sins. 
See, one example, example is Christ was promised through the prophet Isaiah to be an offering for all of our sins. See, in Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. Did you see that? An offering for sin. His soul. His mind. His will. His emotions. His thoughts towards you. God made it an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall be the labor of his soul and be satisfied. See, God would crucify his very self in the form of Jesus Christ for you and I so that we would not die in our trespasses and sins. By his knowledge, by righteous, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. See, we see that Christ was promised to bear all of our iniquities in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah foretells of the death and the suffering of Christ for you and I over 500 plus years prior to Christ going to the cross. And not only was it promised through the prophet Isaiah, Christ himself spoke about it. He spoke about his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection in the book of Luke 24, verse 5, 25 through 27. So there were certain ones in Christ's company that still did not believe. So they went to the tomb to check it out for themselves to see if it was something that they really could believe, hold on to. And they acknowledged and they saw that the tomb was empty, that he was alive, that he was present evermore. In the book of Luke, chapter 24, verse 25 through 27, Jesus said these words, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken, all that they promised, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus just sat down and had a conversation with them. See, Look back, all the way to Moses. Look back through the prophets. You can see me. You can see my pattern. You can see that I was promised to go to it, to die on it, and to be risen again. 
And not only did Isaiah prophesy about it, not only did Jesus speak about it, but Paul speaks of it. When Paul had been caught in the temple, they wanted to kill him. Paul trying to get away for his life, but he's unable to get away, and he calls and acts to be and to have an audience with the Roman officials. And he's appearing before King Agrippa, this same king whose grandfather Herod killed babies in, in Judah, this same king who father King Agrippa killed the apostle James and arrested Peter, and now Paul is standing before him and defends himself, but really doesn't. He preaches the gospel. He speaks of God and reminds them of Christ's promises. In Acts, the 26th chapter, verse 20 through 23, Paul says this. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And as I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would promise light both to our people and to the Gentiles, that Christ is the promised one, that he must have suffered for you and I. So just as, as Isaiah, as Christ, and as Paul all spoke of the promises that were fulfilled, Christ was at the center of all of God's promises. But more than just Christ being patterned, Christ being promised, Christ is present. He is ever-present. He was present in the Old Testament. He was present in the New Testament in scriptures. And he is present in our lives today. To the essential character of God and faith in Christ has not changed from the first covenant to the new covenant. God has always worked through his word and a triune pattern, the pattern of God the Father through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. We can even see Christ is present in God's word found in John, the first chapter, verse 1 through 4. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. It goes on to say in John 1, 14 through 16, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see Jesus present. 
being born of a virgin, walking this life for 30 plus years, he became flesh for us. It goes on to say, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. See the fullness of Christ. You know, Paul was reminding us that we've all received it if we just take a moment. We look a little closer. Meditate a little longer. Christ has always been present. If we're not careful, we can miss him. We can fail to behold him. I was thinking about this illustration of how do we get to a point of really seeing him. And so often we we will make a statement like I made when I was a young child. I said, if you are real, show me God. If you are Christ, prove it. We want our evidence to be a certain way. God showed me how you know. See, I was waiting for this big flash of light and for him, like just like what he did with Paul on the Damascus Road, that this flash of light almost blinds me, and I say, oh, I see you, Jesus. So often it doesn't happen that way. See, Jesus Christ is in the margins, in the moments, in that sweet midnight hour. And all of those little times when we're going through a trial and a tribulation and we're in need of Christ being there. Here's what the Lord spoke to my heart. We are and you are the evidence. The evidence of a transformed life. See, when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. And as you draw near to him, as you take that step of faith, there's a transformation that starts occurring. See, we walk by faith and not by sight. It's a walk of trusting him. See, when I look back over my life, I can see that God was always present. That he never left, that he never forsook, that he was always there. And so often we just need to slow down, take a moment, and look a little deeper. See, that leads me to the main point of the sermon this morning. If he is 
the Christ. They asked that and made that bold statement in Luke 23, 35. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God. See, here's what was happening. They stood on that mountain on Golgotha. They were watching and beholding Christ being crucified. And maybe you, like I, that were sitting at the bottom of that mountain and we were just looking up. And we were seeing the beaten and battered face of Jesus. If we take a moment to just behold him. See, that word behold is so essential. It means to fix our eyes upon him. It means to see with attention. And it means to observe with care that we're looking at him. And we're seeing that he didn't deserve any of it. But he was so willing to do all of it for you and I. To take all of our sins. But see, the reality of that day is that there were many that could not see. They could not behold. They were blinded by their own way. Whatever they may have, whatever that way may have been, maybe it was pride or jealousy or disobedience. And maybe even we have been there ourselves. They refused to see the evidence through the patterns of Christ in history, through the promises of Christ that were fulfilled, and they had not allowed him, even though they could physically see him, they could not allow the very presence of him to be made evident. They could not see him, even when he was on the cross dying for them. They were those that do not behold. People in rebellion to God. Those who refuse to trust him. And they were, would eventually become blind to him. They could see, but could not see him. Ezekiel 12, 2 mentions this. It says, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house. You have eyes to see, but you see not. Who have ears to hear, but hear not. For they are a rebellious house. Don't let that be us. Let us be those that behold him. 
that behold his glory, that behold his majesty, his love for each and every one of us. See, Matthew 13, 6 says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. See, the question is, are we seeing? Are we listening? See, having eyes that see represents more than just physical sight. It is associated with having understanding. It presents a picture of comprehending things that really are as God sees them. Not as we see them, but as God sees them. Do we have those eyes to see? See, once you take a step of faith, once you trust God and continue to walk with the Lord, he grows your eyesight. I'm a living witness of that. <laughs> he grows our eyesight of his patterns, his promises, and his presence. See, Ephesians 1.17 reminds us that it says that, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him as we continue to walk with him, as we continue to trust him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the sights, man, in, in, in the saints. See, it just grows. If you've been a Christian for one year or five years or ten years, it should be sweeter to you today than it was that first day. See, we grow. He opens and enlightens our understanding. He gives us spiritual eyes to see. See, but these rebellious people, we've all been rebellious at times, would you agree? See, even they they couldn't see, and they were hard of hearing him. Even so much when he, when they heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They were so brazen to say, let him save himself. Let him save himself is exactly what Jesus would not do. See, that's a response that within our humanity and within mankind, we would easily respond that way to save ourselves. But this man, Jesus, was so caring, was so loving for all of mankind, wanted to reach us at the very point of our need, that he would not save himself. Luke 17, 25 says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. 
See, Jesus, he's talked about the days of Noah and how the flood came. You remember when, he, when the scriptures mentioned that God said, my spirit would not dwell with man for long. And there came a time when mankind was destroyed. The scriptures tells us the flood came and destroyed them all. Then Jesus talked about, he not only talked about the days of Noah, he talked about the days of Lot. He mentioned that it rained fire and brimstone from heaven. It had destroyed them all. See, is Jesus talking about this. He said in the days of Noah, the flood came and destroyed them. In the days of Lot, the rain rained down like fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them. And then in Luke 17, 30, Jesus says these words, Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. See, Jesus took a moment to talk about it will be this same way. When he comes back again, there will be destruction. When he is revealed from heaven in flaming fire at the last day. And just as Noah and his family were saved, and Lot and his family were saved, minus his wife. Jesus mentions when all the elect will be gathered and brought to faith and repentance, then shall the earth and the works in it be burned up. So Jesus says these words in Luke 17, 32 and 33. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. So Jesus gave up his life so that we could live. He did not try to preserve it, but he was willing to give it freely. See, we can come to faith by trusting him and repenting before a risen Savior. Turning away from trusting in our life is what repentance means and turning towards him. He died on that cross. He gave up his spirit. His body was broken and buried. And on the third day, that resurrection day, he raised from the dead. He spent time with his disciples to remind them of these promises and the empty tomb that laid before them. Jesus Christ did that. He paid the ultimate price he died a sinner's death. 
and they found the tomb empty. And we see these concluding words in Luke 24, verse 45 through 47. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures, that they might comprehend the pattern of Christ, that they may comprehend the promise of Christ, and that they may comprehend the presence of Christ. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. No other way. And to rise from the dead the third day. To cause the tomb to be empty. So death would not sting you. And the grave would not have victory over you. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. So if he is Christ, he is Savior for the whole world. If he is Christ, he's the way, the truth, and the life. If he is Christ, it was necessary for him to suffer so that you would not have to pay that price. Christ is patterned. He is the pattern you have been seeing in this world that gives hope. Christ is the promise that brings that hope. And Christ is present right now who is hope. And he gave his life for you and I. And just like the grave could not hold him, death loses its sting and the grave its victory because of Christ. He said it right. He is the Christ, the chosen of God. He is Christ. Would you remember to surrender to him today? Don't let his sacrifice be in vain. Know that he did it all for you and I. He was anointed and he was chosen for this very purpose. Because he is Christ. Let him be Christ in your life. Let him be the God of the beginning and the end. Not just on Sunday. Not just on Easter. Not just on Christmas. But every day of our lives. Because he is life. And he got up out of that grave for you and I. That he would be the first of many brethren. He would be the first that God would call him out and you and I would follow because he loved you so much. 
because he didn't want to forget about you. And because he's Christ, let him come into your heart. Let him walk with you. Let him show you how good he is. That it gets sweeter and sweeter day by day. And as you go through the trials and the tribulations of life, he is present. And watch him work it out. When you are unable, watch him work it out. When that seems like there's no way, he is the way. And watch God do great and amazing things. Because he is God. And we can trust him. We can give ourselves to him. Give yourself to him. And watch him. Watch him love on you. Watch him transform your life. Because the anointed one loves you so much.